Father, we praise you for your word. What a privilege to have it in a language that we can understand. Thank you for this book, the Psalms, for the verses we read here, which give us words to pray to you. Thank you for Jesus, to whom these words point. Help us to see him more clearly as we study these words now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, how are you feeling this evening about yourself, about God? It's time to smile, people. It's time to switch on the happy face. Because after all, what have we got to be grumpy about as Christians? You know, Jesus died for our sins. He's alive today. He's coming back. Heaven is certain. So smile. Be happy. Enjoy your relationship with God. Now, I don't know what you make of uh, that kind of Christianity that sort of seems to, be, seems to ignore what's going on around you and insists on smiling through everything because Jesus loves you. Now, it's true, isn't it, if you're a Christian, that Jesus loves you? It's true, if you're a Christian, that that is ultimately what matters. You have the most important thing. You do. You are loved by the God who made you. He came into the world in Jesus and he died for you. You have a new identity. And that means that you can face the mess and the pain of every, and the difficulty of everyday life with a different perspective, a perspective of hope. But what do you do when your feelings are lagging some way behind what you know somewhere in your head and your heart to be true? People sometimes use an illustration uh, of a train, an engine with two carriages. Maybe you've heard it before. The the engine is facts. The first carriage is faith, and the second carriage is feelings. Do you see what what this, this picture does? It's saying, let the facts of the gospel drive your life. Then let your faith follow those facts. And then your feelings will follow after that. And the illustration goes on like this. It says, very often we try and do it the other way round. So we make feelings the engine. And then we let faith follow the feelings and facts come some way behind. So on a good day, we feel happy and we feel good as a Christian. Everything's going great. But on a bad day, it's the opposite. And more than that, you know, on a bad day, we begin to wonder, am I actually a Christian at all? Because my faith is based on my feelings. And the thing is, my feelings change. Instead of my faith being based on the facts of Jesus' death and resurrection, those facts do not change. Now, I think that is a helpful illustration as far as it goes. If you're wobbling, keep your eyes on the facts of the gospel. They don't change. God does not change. Jesus' love does not change. Our feelings go up and down all the time. But here's the thing, you see. We are complicated people. And in fact, whether we like it or not, our feelings play a big part in our everyday decision-making. Our hearts go with what they love, what they've set their affections on. And that includes our feelings. It involves our feelings. 
See, if we're following Jesus, it's because he has captured our hearts. So that following him has become more attractive than following our own path or worshipping idols. So what then do we do when our feelings are struggling to keep up with the facts? When we feel like God is absent, when we feel like God is not in control, when we feel like giving up, do we just shrug our shoulders, carry on regardless? I think many people assume that this is something the Bible doesn't really acknowledge at all, that you know, the expectation is uh, that God's people should be upbeat, should be rejoicing all the time, we should smile because Jesus loves us. But here's the thing, the psalmists would disagree. One of the reasons I've grown to love the psalms is because of the rawness, the realness of how the psalmists express themselves. See, this isn't pretend Christianity that you find in the Psalms. It's real-life Christianity. In the Psalms, God's people don't take suffering lying down. They don't put on a stiff upper lip. They say, come on, chaps, let's get on with it. They don't do that. They cry out to God. And that's what's happening today in Psalm 42, which addresses the particular situation where the psalmist's feelings about God do not match reality. Some people would call this a kind of depression or spiritual depression. I think we're, we're getting better at talking about depression as a society, but maybe we could do better at discussing it as Christians, because Christians struggle with depression too. And perhaps because of the whole uh, Jesus, smile, Jesus loves you thing, there can be even more of a stigma around that. Um, More of a stigma about about suffering depression as a Christian, maybe, than there is in the general population. I don't know whether you agree with that. But this psalm speaks especially into the lives of those who struggle with depression. And it also speaks to those who want to help them. Not to offer some kind of instant fixed cure, but better than that, to offer hope. And actually there is plenty here, even for those who are not kind of depressed in a medical sense, because spiritual depression is something all Christians will probably struggle with at different times. It's a sense maybe of spiritual exhaustion, a sense of the loss of joy in Christ that we used to have. We kind of know I used to feel like that and it doesn't quite feel like that anymore. Maybe we feel like that we are spent spiritually. Maybe we've been serving so hard but actually that's become a, a, a chore. It's become a thing we almost, if we were really honest and we might not say it to anybody, it's almost something that we resent. That is dryness. That is what the psalmist is talking about here. What are Christians to do in these circumstances? Well, the Psalms give us the vocabulary and they give us the voice that we can use in these times. And in this particular Psalm, we see two main things that the Psalmist is implicitly encouraging us to do as we pray this Psalm with him. Firstly, talk to God about your feelings. Talk to God about your feelings. Do you notice how the psalmist is honest with God about how he's feeling? It may sound obvious to say that we need to speak to God in prayer, but actually, isn't it true that it's often the last thing that we do? 
So we, uh, we, we speak to others, we speak to other people about how terrible things are. We, we speak to ourselves, we grumble in our hearts. We don't actually speak to God. But the psalmist speaks to God. And look at what he says. He says, first, that he is dry. So look, verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? It's uh, not difficult to conjure up that feeling of thirst, is it, in this hot weather that we're, that we're having. But he's talking about that, that feeling on the inside of being spiritually dry, parched. You know things are not as they are meant to be. You feel God is absent. Look at verse 4 then. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. See, you, you know that once upon a time, things were a lot better. But now, they're dry. And yet, the psalmist thirsts for God. He's not satisfied with things as they are. He longs to be in a better place again. And that is the way to start, to say to God, I thirst for you. I long to know your presence again, even though you feel so far away now. Secondly, he says that he is drowning Verses uh, in the second half of the, the psalm. So have a look at verse 7. He says... Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Everything's got too much, he's saying. He's sinking beneath the waves. Is that a familiar feeling at times? It's striking how the psalmist says, do you notice he says, it's your waterfalls, it's God's waves and breakers that are sweeping over him. This, in one sense, is what makes suffering as a Christian particularly difficult. Because of that question of how is it that a loving and powerful and sovereign God can allow this suffering to happen? That's the question that Job wrestles with. You see, Job's uh, problem in the book of Job is, is not that God is, is, is not there, that there is no God. That's not his problem. That's a different problem, that is, isn't it? That there is no God. That's the atheist's problem. And in many ways, that makes suffering even worse, because it's just totally random. There's no one you can talk to in the face of suffering if there is no God. You just have to take it. But the problem is, when the Christian suffers, well, actually, there is a God, and he is sovereign, we believe. He's all-powerful. He's in control. He's loving. We know that because Jesus died on the cross. And so, how is it then that we find ourselves in these circumstances? That's the thing that we, sh- that we wrestle with. Now, the Bible doesn't give us a one-line answer to that question, although it has some, some really helpful things to say. But it also encourages us not to dodge the question. See, the psalmists don't dodge the question. They, they bring their suffering to God. Lord, why is this happening? How long, O oh Lord? Look at the psalmist doing that in verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? 
Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? The psalmist is dry, downcast and drowning, and yet he still speaks to God. He gives us these psalms to give us the words to say in our distress. He doesn't just want us to grit our teeth and get on with it. He wants us to talk. And what he actually says is slightly surprising, isn't it? I don't know whether you, whether you think that verse 9. See, in the cold light of day, we might uh, hear someone say, why have you forgotten me, God? And we might think, now hang on a minute, Christian person. God will never forget you. He has promised not to. So what you are saying is not true. Stop it now. Or words to that effect. Do you know how we sometimes do that? You know, someone's sort of saying something, you say, no, 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 that's, that's, that's just nonsense. The Bible doesn't say that. And we want to sort of put the, the, be theologically accurate and precise about our statements. But that's not really what the psalmist is doing here, is it? He's, he's not trying to make a, uh, a theologically uh, precise statement about things. What he's actually saying is that it feels like God has forgotten him. In the midst of deep trials, none of us are going to be all that careful with our words. There's a phrase in the book of Job where Job says to his so-called comforters, his friends, you know, the guys who kind of come to him and say all this stuff and he keeps having to say back to them, guys, this just isn't helpful. It's better when you just sit on the floor and be, and be silent. And he says this at one point, he says, do you think that you can reprove words when the speech of a despairing man is wind? In other words, do you think that you can have a go at me about the, all the things that I'm saying when really, when, when someone's despairing, their speech is just wind? It's words for the wind. He's saying, I'm in despair. I'm just crying out. I'm just, I'm just emptying my heart of the things that I'm feeling. Even when that, what you cry out under the theological microscope might turn out to be slightly poorly expressed, not the kind of thing you'd put into a systematic theology, well, that's okay. There's a time for theological precision. There's a time for crying out in despair. And maybe we can be a little bit too quick sometimes to jump on one another when we hear something uh, sort of imprecise or whatever coming out of our mouths. It's, it's helpful to know the difference between the two. Talk to God about your feelings. Cry out to him. And so there is that challenge, isn't there? You know, we, we, we're very good at talking, very good at complaining when things are tough. Some of us will be better than others. But who do we talk to and complain to when things are difficult? Is it, is it just to one another? Is it just to ourselves? Of course, there is comfort in doing that, and we may find help and encouragement from doing that. But far more significant for the Christian is whether we are speaking to God our Father honestly and openly. Thirst for him in the dryness. Speak to him about his waves. Cry out to him when he does not appear to answer the first time. If we go around pretending everything is fine when it isn't, or refusing to talk to God about what is wrong, then we're wearing a mask. We're denying reality. But real trust and relying on God begins with pouring out our hearts to him, honestly and openly. Sometimes we need one another to help each other do that. It may not be something we can do all by ourselves. 
when things are tough. That is why we are a church, not just individual Christians. We're here to help each other do that, to speak to God about our feelings. If we're in any doubt that this is normal Christian experience, then we only need to look at Jesus as he went to the cross. What did Jesus say as people that he had made drove nails through his hands, crowned him with thorns, and hung him high on the cross to humiliate him? Well, he didn't sort of say, oh, everything's fine, everything's wonderful, I'm going to be raised from the dead in two days' time, you know, come on, let's just get through this. He doesn't say that, does he? Not at all. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? And what he says to us, his followers, is that we too are to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him in that pattern. And so there will be times when we say that too. And yet even saying those words, why have you forsaken me, that is an expression of trust in God, that God is God, that he is in control, and that somehow he must mean this for the best, even though we can't understand it right now. So talk to God about your feelings. And then the second big thing we see in this psalm, talk to your feelings about God. Talk to your feelings about God. This comes from the refrain that we see twice in this psalm and then actually uh, once at the end of the next psalm, the end of Psalm 43. There's a verse that keeps being repeated. Can you see it? It's there in uh, Psalm 42, verse 5, and then again in verse 11, and then in Psalm 43, verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. What does the psalmist do then as he struggles? He stops listening to himself and he talks to himself instead. Now, it's sometimes said that talking to yourself is the first sign of madness. But actually talking to yourself could be the best thing that you do in the midst of struggles. As long as what you're talking to yourself about is the gospel is God, is Jesus. And, and, and you're thinking through why you are feeling the way that you are. So somebody who wrote about this was a, a guy called Martin Lloyd-Jones. You may have come across, he's a, a preacher in the last century. And he wrote a book all about this whole topic. Called, it's just called Spiritual Depression. And in there he says this. Let me read to you a, a quote from this. He says, Have you realised that most of your unhappiness is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. The essence of the matter is to understand that this self of ours, this other person within us, has got to be handled. Do not listen to him or to her. Turn on him. Encourage him. Remind her of what you know. Instead of listening 
placidly to her and allowing her to drag you down and depress you. For this is what he will always do if you allow him to be in control. So do you see, do you see what Martin Lloyd-Jones is getting at? You see, instead of just thinking, I, you know, today I just feel really low, we need to realise that in one sense we share some responsibility for those feelings that we feel. Because where do they come from? Well, they come from in us. They don't come from anywhere else. And actually that they need not control us. Now the thing is, of course, our feelings can be extremely stubborn. They can be very, very hard to shift. But they need not be the boss. So when we're feeling those feelings, when we're feeling low, we're feeling anxious, whatever it is, we need to, we need to start thinking, well, hang on a minute, why, why? Why am I feeling like that? It's like he's saying here, why, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why? Where, 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 where's this feeling coming from? Why, why am I responding to this situation in such a negative way? Does this situation actually need that kind of response? Uh, is, is there some sort of life event that I'm struggling to, feel, uh, to, to, to deal with? Am I struggling to come to terms with a difficult relationship from the past? What is it that's causing this? Question yourself. Question your soul. Now, of course, it must be said that anxiety, for example, in itself isn't always a bad thing. You know, there are situations in life that are deeply painful. And the psalmist is, is, is absolutely not saying that we should pretend that that isn't the case. The point is, what do we do with those feelings of anxiety? We heard in the second reading, we heard of, of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and there in the garden, there was a whole ton of anxiety going on in the garden that night. See, humanly speaking, Jesus had a sense of what lay ahead and he prayed, if it is your will, take this cup from me, he says to God. And he sweats blood as he prays. There's a real sense of anxiety. But what does he do? He then prays, not my will, but yours be done. You see, he takes his anxieties and he speaks to God about them. But then alongside him, around him, are the disciples, and they are feeling deeply anxious too, as they sense that they might be about to lose their leader. And what, and what do they do? Well, first they fall asleep. Then they deny and betray Jesus. Then they scatter. You see, their anxiety takes them in a totally different direction, looking after number one in terror and in fear. So the question is, what will we do with our feelings? Will we remind them that Jesus has died and risen from the dead and that changes everything? If it's spiritual dryness that we feel, well, let's get quenching that dryness with the living water of Jesus. Maybe the next couple of weeks over the summer is the time to do that. Just to take that time out to be with God in his Word to come back to basics, to remind ourselves of who he is, what he's done, why serving him is worth it. We, we may need help talking to ourselves to find, you know, maybe worth finding a trusted Christian friend, talk to one of us on the staff team and sit down and listen and talk. 
and pray. Always happy to do that. Sometimes you may need to do that alongside talking to a doctor, talking to a counsellor. But as the psalmist speaks to himself, do you you see what he says in verse 5? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. As we struggle in our lives, if we are Christians, we know that God is taking us to a place where there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more sin. And there we will praise him if not before. There's a Christian song that that says in the chorus, I wonder if you recognise it, it says, and in your presence our problems disappear. It's not actually true, is it? At least not for now. You see, God doesn't promise to take away our suffering now. He may do that, he sometimes does that. But what he actually promises that he will do is he will work through our present suffering to make us more like Jesus to help us to rely on him in everything, to prepare us for the new heavens and the new earth where there will be no more suffering. That's why the psalmist can finish with those words, hope in God, for I will yet praise him. The resurrection of Jesus means that no matter the situation, there is hope. It won't always be like this. The cloud will lift. Now, that's all very well, we might say, but I'm not sure I can face today. I'm not sure I can face tomorrow. Well, that is why we have the Psalms. They are what we have for today. Not just to give us information about the future, but to give us the words to pray back to God when things are dry. Turn to the Psalms. Turn to Jesus. Know that with him we can keep going today, tomorrow, in the dryness, with the anxieties and cares and difficulties. We can talk to God honestly about our feelings. We can talk to our feelings about God. Let me pray now. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Father God, we pray that we would be those who thirst for you in the dryness. Where else are we to go? when you alone have words of eternal life. We turn to Jesus. We receive afresh the life that you give us in the gospel. I pray for anyone here who's yet to do that, to receive that hope, the life, forgiveness in Jesus. I pray that you'd enable them to do that. I pray for all of us that whatever our circumstances, whatever the things that we are facing today, this week, this month, this year, 
pray that all our hope and trust would be truly in Jesus, that we would be able to speak to you about what's going on when we need to, that we would be doing that daily. And that we would be speaking to ourselves about you, calling on our hearts to put our hope in you and looking forward to the day when we will praise you unhindered by sin and weakness and enjoying you and enjoying being with your people, praising you for eternity. Would that continue to be our hope day by day? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.